understanding how to get what you want out of people without being a manipulative a-hole is a hard skill to master. But that's what we're going to go through in today's episode, the foundation of building this skill. But before all of that, ever found yourself intrigued by a video or podcast topic, but overwhelmed by its epic length? Here on Split Open, I split those lengthy masterpieces open and extract the meatiest insights and juiciest knowledge in only a quarter of the time so you can get the hell on with your life. I'm your host, Amy J, and today I'm splitting open a Huberman Lab podcast episode with ex-FBI agent and author of Never Split the Difference, Chris Voss. The original podcast was almost three hours long. Now, most of this conversation was based on Chris's career in the FBI and dealing with hostage situations and other very high friction scenarios, which obviously isn't that relevant to us everyday folks, but I've extracted the best nuggets that we can all use day to day to learn how to communicate better, understand negotiation and get what we want out of life, right? In a non-manipulative way, of course. So let's start off with the more minor conversations and negotiations in life. And we'll get into the, you know, the riskier, juicier stuff later on. Now, first, a lot of conversations and negotiations, especially are done face to face, right? Or at least should be done face to face. So when Chris was talking about this, he said that the main thing is to ensure that everything lines up. So is their tone of voice, their facial expression, the movements that they're making and what they're saying all line up do they all line up and when he said this I thought well doesn't everyone do this naturally and I think you know we do kind of naturally pick up on these cues right if someone says something but their tone is different we immediately pick up on that or if they say something and then they have a shifty eye movement we pick up on that but what Chris highlighted is that you can read people wrong of course you can you may have this ability this natural ability to pick up on some cues that do not align but you can still read people wrong so go back over the same information so if you're going through a deal with somebody for example or you're trying to get the truth out of somebody then keep going back over the same information not to irritate them and don't do it in an irritating way either don't make it seem like you're interrogating them but Go back over things to make sure that you are reading them as well as you can to get all of the information because you can read a certain situation first off and it be completely wrong. So then you go over some of the information again and then you pick up on different cues and then you realize, okay, no, this person is being genuine when you thought they were lying, for example, or the other way around. So that's the first little nugget. And as I said, we'll start with the low risk minor conversations. So they put this under benevolent negotiation, although I mean, negotiation was used all the way through this conversation. And obviously as an FBI agent and all of that, a lot of things are negotiation. And yeah, you negotiate throughout life. But I don't know, that word personally makes it feel like it is sort of in a higher risk situation. But anyway, semantics, I guess, didn't really matter that much. So this benevolent negotiation that they were talking about was taking a trip with a friend and figuring out who's going to pay for what and what route you're going to take, where you're going to stop off and all of those kinds of things, right? Try planning a road trip with a friend. And the main point was that people just want to be heard out. So it makes all the difference in the world if you just let someone be heard. So you're having this conversation with your friend, figuring out the road trip, right? If you want to make them feel heard and to find the best possible solution for your road trip, you want to describe to them where you think they are in terms of what they want with this road trip. So you sit down with them and you say, okay, I feel as though you want to go on this route because it's faster and you would rather get there quicker so we're not on the road for as long. So you are opening up the conversation presenting your idea of what you think their idea is this gives them the opportunity to go no 
that's not right. It opens up the conversation for them to be more candid, not in a rude way, but you will more likely get the truth out of that other person. Because if you just ask them, hey, what route do you want to take? You're not going to get such a candid, real, raw and honest answer because they're going to have a lot of things going through their mind where they're like, you know, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe they do want to take the, the shortest route, but then they're thinking, well, maybe we should go the other way and maybe you want to go the other way. So I don't want to say that I want to go the short route and you know what I mean? It's that kind kind of thing and then with this because you've opened up that honest real raw side of them you can then go back and forth and collaborate and you will probably come up with a route a plan that you wouldn't have if you were just asking each other directly what each other wants and this is such a simple thing to do right and a lot of these points are they're kind of those things that get put on your radar and you're like oh that's really simple I could definitely impl implement that into my life and it can be a fun little experiment right next time you're planning something with somebody do this and see if it goes in a different direction than you're used to. All right, so that was the benevolent negotiation. Then they went straight into high friction negotiation. Now, there are some tips and tools and techniques and things to use in negotiations, conversations, which I'm going to go through later on. But this, yeah, was heavily focused on Chris's career in the FBI. But there are lots of nuggets in this section. So bear with me if it seems a little bit disjointed because it you know there was a lot to pick out and kind of organize but one of the things Chris said was in the FBI not everything is going to work out I mean this is true of life not everything is always going to work out right but he said if you can slow it down you can wait for something good to fall out of the sky and he was speaking in relation to his work at the FBI but there's something in there I think that we can extract. I think a lot of us, especially if you're in high friction situations, you can try and rush to a conclusion or you can try and get out of it as fast as you can. And maybe it's not about sorting it out immediately and just getting it done over and done with. Maybe it is about slowing down and taking a breather and processing a little bit and allowing yourself to find better ways to deal with it because if you're stressed it maybe it's come out of nowhere and it's crazy and it's thrown you off guard and you're trying to get through it as quickly as you can you may not come up with the best solution and then in hindsight you know later down the road a better solution will come to you and you're like oh, I should have just taken a breather and not stressed out and panicked so that's what I got from that and then the next point was I, I love this lose your illusions about how you think things should play out then you can recognize patterns in behavior. So again, this was very much talking about when he was talking to someone and trying to get information out of them, right? But I love this, lose your illusions about how you think things should play out. And I think this is just a great reminder for life. Just don't have expectations. Don't believe that things are going to go your way all of the time. Don't have all of these scenarios and images and delude yourself into thinking that that's exactly how it's going to be because it, most of the time it's not, right? And then this point moved into, again, very FBI related, but I thought this was very fascinating. He said, you want to look for specific can't say it specificity is that right anyway the specifics look for specifics so if someone throws out something vague then it's usually a threat so if someone asks for ransom for example and they say if we don't get one mil your son dies that's not specific that's not specific right however if they say if we don't get one million by noon tomorrow then your son will die so obviously that one is a lot more specific so I mean I don't I'm not sure when we'd be able to use this in everyday life maybe well no actually yeah I guess so if someone's threatening you 
it's the same thing, right? And I mean, I don't really get threats in my everyday life, but you never know what's going to happen in life. You could come up against somebody who's threatening you for some reason, right? I'm sure plenty of you actually listening might give me some examples if you've had this, but this could be, yeah, if you have gone through this, this is a really good thing to remember, I guess, right? I can't say it. The specifics looks for things that are specific. They want to be specific because then you know you're dealing with someone who's serious because as Chris said, if it's not, if it's very vague, then they're just, they're just saying stuff, right? They're not really planning on doing anything that they're making out they're going to do. And again, this was very much about all the hostage situations and stuff like that that Chris has been in, but there's something called a double dip. So this is basically when someone is asking for something and you give it to them, then they ask for more. So it's the whole scenario of like, well, okay, if someone's asking for something, how do you know that they're going to give you what you want in return? If you, if so, if someone's being held hostage and they ask for money, you give it to them. What, where's the confirmation that you're going to get what you, you're going to get your person back? But this can be applied, especially these days with people who are trying to scam you. So you have to look if someone's trying to scam you, right? Do they actually have influence over you? Are they going to take money out of your bank account? Do they have access to all of your details? You have to step back and ask, okay, do they actually have leverage? Do they have the things that they're threatening me with? So Chris gave the example of someone getting run down by your dog, right? And being hurt. Then them asking for compensation else, you know, they're going to take you to court. A lot can happen there, obviously. But this was interesting because this actually happened to me, not the dog thing, but I was backing out of my driveway when I was living in Devon. And there was never, I mean, never, there were never cars behind me because it was like a teeny tiny little road. And there were like three houses down there. No one was ever parked behind the driveway, right? But of course, always look in your rear view mirror, everybody. Do not just back out of anywhere without looking in your rear view mirror. So I just back out and straight into this car, right? Woman comes out blah, blah, blah. Like most of us, we don't want to go through insurance, right? So a woman gives me her details. I give her mine, all of this. She takes her car to get checked out. And then she's like, oh, well, it's going to be around 2000 pounds. I was like, okay, well, I do not want to give you two grand. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go through the insurance because I do not want to fork out 2000 pounds, obviously. However, turns out this woman didn't even have insurance. So the scenario there, right, is that she's like, okay, this girl does not want to go through insurance. So let me try and get some money out of her. She probably had no intention of getting her car fixed. She probably just wanted some extra cash, right? But because I called my insurance in the end, that was me accidentally figuring out that this woman had no leverage, right? Because I didn't have to pay her and nothing happened with my insurance because she didn't have insurance anyway. So I have to admit, it was kind of a very satisfying situation for me, but this is it, right? You have to figure out if people do actually have leverage on you. And Chris said, you have to figure out who you're dealing with, because if you're dealing with somebody who is an a-hole, basically, who is not going to step down, you need to figure that out, right? So he was like, you have to ask a question and see how they respond first because their actual answer is secondary so for example how much money do you think you deserve if you ask them that and they answer quickly you're dealing with someone cutthroat right if they stop and think then you can probably talk around them so yeah if you're dealing with somebody cutthroat then it's kind of like okay you're kind of at their mercy a little bit but what you can do is ask them how and what questions you want to wear them out so apparently these questions 
they create fatigue in the brain, right? And if you keep asking them how and what and keep going down the route of questioning, they'll lose energy and they'll slowly give up or they'll reveal something that you can use against them. Now, obviously, this is all very nuanced. It depends on the situation that you're dealing with and all of that. But I think this is very interesting, something to remember if you are in these kinds of situations, especially the situation that I was in, right? When you hit into somebody's car and the whole insurance thing and you paying them instead, or like the example Chris gave, if your dog hurt somebody what are you going to do and then one final tip here if someone tells the truth they will tell it in one way but if they lie they tell it 20 times so i guess this comes back around to asking them those questions and trying to wear them down right because if you keep asking the same kinds of questions maybe in a slightly different way then you can get their answer and if they keep saying it over and over and it's the exact same then you know that they're telling the truth so if you're trying to figure out if you give them money will they leave you alone if they keep saying the same thing in the same way, then they probably will. They just want some cash from you. They will see that as fair compensation. However, if you keep asking and digging and they keep saying different things, slightly different answers, then you're, yeah, you may be in a little bit of trouble there. Well, not necessarily trouble, but now you know that if you just give them what they are asking for, then that's probably not the end of it. You know, here's the money. Okay, great. Thank you. I'm still going to take you to court kind of thing, right? So as I said, this whole conversation was mostly around hostage situations that Chris had gone through, but I'm going to put this in here because you never know, right? The world's crazy. You may end up being a hostage in some scenario, but this is really good to know what he said here. So if you are held hostage, anything like that, anything you can do to humanize yourself will increase your chance of survival. So yeah, you're harder to kill or harm if you are humanized. So for example, tell people your name. If someone is holding you hostage, say, hi, I'm Amy. What's your name? Or hi, I'm Amy. So, you know, and Andrew mentioned that when he's worked with primates, because he works in labs and everything, right? Doing all these experiments. But when he's worked with primates, it has been a rule that you do not name them. They only have numbers because that way you're not building a relationship. You, you don't have a connection. Naming things, yeah, humanizes it, right? And then it makes it harder to do something bad to that person or animal or anything like that because me and my fiance as well we've been talking about we we want to get land we're looking to get land we want to grow our own food we want to have animals and that kind of thing and i we've we've talked about are we going to get chickens cows pigs all of that and i was like yes we can have chickens cows pigs and all of that however if we are planning on killing any of them, we do not name them. We do not cuddle them and stroke them and, you know, that kind of thing. Because, yeah, I don't want to kill little Betsy in the field. That's going to make it 10 times harder. So I guess a lot of us know this, right? Humanizing things makes it so much harder to hurt someone or something or kill it, you know? But I guess I don't know if I would necessarily think about this if I was being held hostage. I wouldn't be like, oh, I need to seem like a human. Because I guess human to human, you may just assume that the other person sees you as a human because you're the same being. But I mean, you know, the world is messed up and that's obviously not the case. Okay, so while we're on such a negative, <laughs> sad thing, let's talk about red flags that Chris went through. So this one was interesting. People who say, win-win is a red flag to him now this was him talking from experience but he said that usually if someone comes up to you right usually in business I guess but if they're like oh okay I've got I've got an idea it's win-win right then he was like usually they're trying to pick your pocket win-win sounds good because they're getting something and you're getting something and win-win also sounds like it's an equal win you know it's like okay yeah let's do this thing together let's collaborate and let's both walk away with 
equal winnings and let's just have a great time with it. But what Chris said is that usually it's the people who give generously without wanting anything back. Those are the ones that you want to deal with, especially in business and well, just in life in general, right? He said everyone that he comes into contact with, those who are just giving generously and do not ask for anything back, those are usually the situations that actually end up being win-win just in a more indirect way because if someone gives to you just generously, openly, doesn't want anything back, then that creates something in you that later down the road, you'll potentially do something for them. It's almost like you owe them. You have that in the back of your mind, right? Not in a negative way, not in a, oh, I owe them now, but usually in a way where you want to give back to them just as generously as they gave to you, not to get anything out of it. You just want to return the favor, but to be a good human being. And Chris said that the more you give and the less you take, the better just as a general rule of thumb because and I don't know if you believe you know in karma and the universe and all of that but I think a lot of us have had an experience right where you just give if you've just given and not expecting anything that it comes back around and you receive just as much as you've given if not more and I think a lot of people can get very focused on themselves these days and trying to get things for themselves rather than thinking about other people it's very selfish mindset that can take hold of a lot of people right so i think this was a very beautiful point just for life in general just try and give as much as you can of course everyone has a limit if you're you know if you're living in severe poverty and you can't give in certain ways then don't you still have to look after yourself but it comes back to that example that i think everybody uses is when you go to third world countries right everyone seems so happy and so generous they have nothing or very very little but what they do have they're happy to share they're happy to go out of their way to help other people because they know that that is part of the essence of life it is giving and sharing and not expecting anything in return it is just that joy of giving and helping somebody else right but then you come over here into first world countries and it's not the same it is very much people out for themselves and trampling over each other rather than helping each other up and it's kind of sad, really, when you think about it. But anywho, another red flag that Chris went over is if there's a time limit on things. So this comes back around to uh, being scammed, right? So if you're dealing with a scam, if there's that urgency, if there's a time limit, then that is a big red flag because urgency hits a fundamental nerve in us, right? Obviously, you start to panic. And this is becoming more and more of an issue, right? Like I've been with my fiance's grandparents and the amount of scams his grandmother has had come through in the last few weeks is unbelievable. And now this is an 87-year-old woman. She's very techie, but when people are calling her and they're using my fiance's name, when they're doing this exact thing, giving a time limit, it does go straight to that fundamental nerve, right? And she panics and she then calls the number that they give you and all of this, right? So it's like, even if you're super aware of these scams, if there is that time limit on it, or there is that urgency in some way, then that panic can take over. You don't necessarily stop and pause and go like, okay, hold on, hold on. Is this real? And then circling back to, do they have leverage? Do they actually have the information that they're claiming? Can they access the thing that they're claiming to access? So obviously these days too, with all this AI voice generation stuff, there's a lot of this stuff coming out now, right? It's all over the place. So this part of the conversation was interesting and very helpful in also understanding how we respond to things. So that time limit and that urgency, it can override your logic, right? Your common sense, that decision to take a second and 
see if it is real. So do not just respond immediately to anything that comes up like this. Okay, it may not be a scam, it may be real, but you have to assess whether it is first. Okay, so those were the more high friction situations. Now I've got a few uh, headings, about three things to go through, and then I'm going to get into tips, techniques, and tools for negotiation, conversations, getting what you want. Uh, But first of all, online and text. So in this section, Chris said that people try and put way too much into texts when they should be focusing on one point. So here was the example that he gave. He was talking to someone and he sent a two-line text to prep them for a phone call. So he was like, said, I've noticed something, we need to chat about it, let me know when you're free. Something like that, right? So when you do explain yourself fully, they are already in problem-solving mode, for example, right? Rather than putting all of this stuff in a text message, like, hi, how are you? Yeah, great. Oh, how was your holiday? No, it was really nice. It was lovely to get out into the sunshine, blah, blah, blah. You know, having a normal conversation first is the worst thing you can do. Do not have a normal BS conversation. Just be straight to the point and be succinct. Because if you're talking all of this regular stuff beforehand, talking about good things beforehand, and then you're like, oh, by the way, the shit has hit the fan, it's going to make that bad thing seem so much worse. So going back to the text, right? Two lines. We've got to talk about something. Let me know when you're free and we'll figure it out. So much more effective. And it makes it makes complete sense, right? Because you're not, you're not lulling people into this false sense of security, into believing that you're just having a general chit chat, that everything's okay. You're not like, yeah, yeah, it's all good and fine and dandy. And then boom, here you go. Here's the, the sh- we need to deal with. And this was also mentioned in a, in a similar way in my last episode with James Sexton, but he was saying how text messages and online messages should only be used for things like I'm here, where are you? I've arrived safely, you know, just minimal things. There should not be any substance. And this is pretty much kind of what Chris has said, right? It's like, don't put all this stuff in there. You just want two lines, just get to it and then have a face-to-face or a phone call. Now, the next section is breakups. So this is ending obviously love relationships, friendships, business relationships, just breakups in any capacity basically and this ties into what we've just gone over where it's like get to the get to the point be succinct and get to the point for example if you need to fire somebody then there is no way to cushion that blow really right there is just no way to do it so don't believe that there is a way to do it i mean actually he says that there somewhat is but we'll get into that in a sec so softening things or postponing things is only stretching it out someone getting fired or dumped will already have that gut feeling that something's off. And it's true, if you've ever been fired or been dumped, this, yeah, it it starts before the conversation. You know, maybe not consciously, but you can feel it in your body. Something is off, something is not quite right. So in the example, if you're gonna fire someone, do it on a Monday. And I, when he said this, I was like, oh, interesting. Okay, why? Because apparently if you fire them on a Friday, then they'll spend two days in misery because, you know, Friday, then it's the weekend. They're just going to be like, oh my God, what am I doing with my life? However, if you fire them on a Monday, then they have that week to figure things out. They are less likely to be overwhelmed and spend those weekend days in misery because obviously those weekend days are usually their days off. So it's like, okay, well, rather than enjoying my weekend, I'm just going to sit and be miserable because I don't have a job and I'm going to focus on the fact that I don't have to get up to go to work on Monday. And I mean, Okay, that might be awesome, actually. Depends if you did want to get fired, right? But I like this point of firing someone on a Monday because, yeah, I guess it's like psychologically, 
on the Tuesday, Wednesday and so on. They're like, well, I, sh- I would be at work. So I guess I should do something productive. And of course, this is not how it's going to work for a lot of people. But there's obviously psychology behind this and it makes sense, right? Don't give people that chance to just wallow for the two weekend days. Fire them on a Monday instead. And then he also said, don't linger. Don't have small talk. Same as texting, right? None of this. Hit them with the bad news rip the bandaid off basically, and it will be less painful in the long run. People are resilient. I think this is it, right? You try and cushion things, you try and wrap it in bubble wrap, you try and protect them a little bit. You think that they're going to break as soon as you give them the bad news. Or, you know, if you don't put that little buffer conversation at the beginning, that it's going to hurt more, but it's not. If you're just like, okay, this is the end. We're breaking up. Might seem harsh. It sounds harsh when you say it, right? But overall, they'll get over it quicker because you're not BSing them at the start. You're not trying to make it seem like everything's okay. And then actually we're, we're over or you're fired. Yeah, it makes sense, doesn't it? When you think about it. All right, this next little section is something that I'm torn about, to be honest, because I completely agree with Chris, but then part of me is like, well, I swear other people say the opposite. And maybe it's one of those things where it's moderation is key, but let me know what you think after I've gone through this. So venting. Usually what it means if someone is venting is that they're frustrated and angry and they feel like they're not being heard. But Chris says that if someone vents, then you shouldn't let them go on for too long. And his reasoning was that negative emotions puts toxins into your system. So you don't want people ranting for an hour, for example, you want to try and diffuse it. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. If you're, if you're ranting for an hour and you're just dumping all the negativity, like literal toxins into your body, then yeah, you don't want that. But then there's this idea, right? People vent and rant and they say that they feel better and getting things out is meant to be better, right? You're not holding things in is the alternative. So obviously you want to get it out, but he also gave some tips for dealing with this. So I think what, what the issue is, is if people are just venting for the sake of it, and then it's not being diffused, they're not getting any answers, they're not feeling heard, still they're just venting, and that's it, they're not doing anything with it, so he said that if someone is venting to you, then you want to make observational, educational guesses on why they're venting, so this comes back to the first point, right, we're going back to that uh, road trip example, so if you want to figure out what people want to do for that road trip, you present to them what you think that they want to do, and this is the exact same thing, you present to them why you believe that they're venting, why they feel this way, why they're angry, which will make them feel heard, which is ultimately what they want and need, and he also said encourage letting off steam without correcting them or giving advice and I've heard this a lot actually and it's usually the example of a frustrated wife sitting down with her husband and then him trying to give her advice and to tell her what to do and how to solve her problems when in actual fact she doesn't want anything solved she just wants to get it out and vent and figure it out herself right but again this is where I'm kind of conflicted with this because even in what Chris has said he's like encourage letting off steam but then also don't let them rant so I guess you kind of need to make it a conversation in a way rather than just letting somebody go rather than letting them be completely in the negative I guess you kind of need to steer them towards solution in a way without 
giving them advice without telling them what to do, but don't just sit there and not say anything and let them just go off. I don't know. This is a weird one, right? Because yeah, again, like having a good rant and vent and getting things out, it feels good. But I suppose it depends on the situation, what you're ranting about, how often you're ranting, because I can definitely see if you're just a very angry person, then venting all the time isn't that productive because what are you doing about the things you're venting about, right? All right, now we're going to move on to tips and techniques slash tools. So One of the things that they said in this conversation was that, of course, a lot of times you don't have time to prepare for these crazy situations, for negotiations, for things to go wrong. They happen so quickly, you're thrown into it, right? Without warning. So Andrew asked Chris, how can you become more ready for these kinds of situations? How can you prep day to day so that when things do come up, you're a little bit more prepared? And Chris said that he, (laughs) Chris said that he talks to Lyft drivers. He talks to people in the airport people in the stores, so on, so forth. It is him keeping the negotiation muscles limber. And he said he's trying to leave a positive wake. So overall, he's asking people questions and he's interacting with people. And especially if he enters a situation where it's a little bit negative or someone seems a little bit off, he tries to boost the mood a bit. And again, leave a positive wake wherever he goes. So Chris gave the example of talking to one of his Lyft drivers. Now he got in the car and the mood was a little bit low. The guy seemed very rude and all of that. But he asked him, what do you love about your job? Most people, you know, you get into the car, the taxi, whatever, and you'll be like, how are you? How's your day? Just the general boring small talk, right? When you ask something a little bit more specific, a little bit more directed, what do you love about your job? something that people have to think about and give an actual answer to, then this gets candid answers. And he said that the point of this is that he wants to learn about people. So these kinds of questions, you can learn who someone is really fast. So he asked the Lyft driver, what do you love about your job? And this guy starts talking about his family, his financial situation, all of this, right? And he got a huge insight into who this guy was. Now he said that initially he was irritated by this guy because he wasn't very pleasant he was quite rude and a lot of us right in that situation we're like f you mate like you can you please be more polite to me like we're kind of like entitled and we don't generally think about what the other person could potentially be going through right and this is something that i try and practice especially drivers when you're on the road and people are overtaking and they're speeding or they're going super slow even or whatever they're driving like an idiot I always think okay well the person who's just sped past me maybe they're rushing to the hospital because they just got a call or I think about the person who's going super super slow I think well maybe they're lost don't know where they're going or maybe they had an accident yesterday so they're a bit more cautious on the road you know it's trying to think about the fact that other people have lives because people can seem like avatars I guess we're also wrapped up in our own lives that we don't really consider other people's lives right so I really I really liked this point that Chris was making and of course he was talking about how to become more prepared by asking people questions and trying to shift moods and situations that you're in even if it is just a moody Lyft driver but it goes much deeper than that right it's not just about asking different questions when you get in a cab it is learning to interact with people and to interact with anyone and everyone because I'm sure some of you listening as well don't even make conversation with a taxi driver you don't even see them as a human they're just your taxi driver they could be a robot for all you care and I know that I've done this too I've got in a cab and I'm like please do not talk to me not I haven't said this out loud but I've been in a certain mood where I'm like I don't want to talk so please do not ask me questions and obviously most of the time 
when you don't want to speak to them. They're the chattiest person ever to exist. And you know, we all have our off days where we don't want to converse with people, but I still really enjoyed this point that Chris made. Being more open to speak to people and doing it in an intentional way. Now, one of the other things that he said is that being in a good mood, being playful and jokey can make make people do things for you basically and he gave the example of being at the airport his luggage had been lost he went into the lost luggage place and most people go in there obviously irritated and moody and expecting the person in the office to know exactly where their bag is so he made a joke of it he walked in he was like okay i know you need a magic wand to figure out where my luggage is and it got the woman behind the counter laughing right and she went above and beyond to help him because it was fresh. It was new. He wasn't the same old person saying the same thing. He was a breath of fresh air. So she felt like she wanted to help him more than the other people, which, okay, that's like being somewhat biased in a way, I guess, but it's human psychology, right? If you are a pleasant person, if you try and make people's lives easier, if you put a smile on someone's face, naturally, you're going to get a lot more out of that. The other person is going to be a lot more responsive than if you're a moody a-hole walking in that office, right? And on a similar note, Andrew and Chris talked about that if you are tense and stressed, because obviously if you're in these kinds of situations, if something is sprung on you and you have not prepped for it, you may be tense and stressed or the other person may be tense and stressed. And just, it's probably a high tense situation, but apparently using a deep FM DJ voice, that's my attempt. Is it any good? <laughs> I don't know if it sounds kind of sexual. I don't know. Let's stop doing that. But if you use a deep FM DJ voice, it calms you down and it will calm the other person down. And Andrew talked about a study where low frequency sounds make neurons in your brain fire in low frequency too. So this is, yeah, if the other person is super stressed and you talk to them in a lower, deeper, calmer voice, you're calming them down and they have no they have no choice in the matter. You basically have control. And I mean, probably not complete control, but if you've ever dealt with someone who's super calm and super level-headed and they talk like this in a calm manner, in that deep voice, then it is so hard to be angry at them, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're probably angry and stressed and tense and stuff, but it's so much harder to go off the handle and just scream and shout at them. And it can make you so much more frustrated because like, oh, why are you being so calm and rational? But flip it around if you want to have that leverage if you want to take control of a situation then you need to talk like this nice and calm it's funny because when i slip into this voice i get this really nice calm feeling and uh, stress relief kind of vibe it's nice <laughs> okay so on the same kind of vibe here they talked about meditation and physical health. And of course, overall, taking care of yourself is an extremely good way to be prepped to deal with the things that life throws at you. Chris said that he believes that spirituality is an important component of who we are and we should have a connection. And whatever that connection is to you, whatever your conception of God, universe, if any of that relates or resonates or doesn't, whatever you personally believe in or feel or any of that as long as there's some sort of connection in your life he thinks that it's extremely important to have that and i would agree yeah i agree that if you have some sort of connection some sort of belief a spirituality religion anything like that just something that is beyond yourself then i find that those people seem the most grounded level-headed they know what they want from life they are happy they have drive determination their relationships are good and yeah when they're pushed into high stress situations the world doesn't crumble around them and what they said in this conversation is that 
you can't separate the physical from the mental. So it's not just your spiritual beliefs and all of that. If you are not taking care of your body, your vessel, then you can't be as effective in anything, basically. And they mentioned, which I think is important, that self-care gets distorted in this world. It is very individualistic, selfish. How it is portrayed seems like it is all about you and you have to look good and feel good and it's all about you. But they really highlighted that it's about taking care of yourself so you can show up for others, so you can not be selfish, so that you are fit and healthy, of sound mind, you have that connection to whatever it is, so you can go out into the world and give back. And I love that and I firmly believe that I do and yeah I understand why people believe that it's narcissistic a lot of the times that it's self-absorbed to care for yourself because that's that's what it's seen as and you see these people who are they are narcissistic right they are self-absorbed and selfish and don't give a crap about anybody else they just want six-pack abs to eat their avocado and go to the gym or whatever that's all well and good but what are you doing outside of that care for yourself do these things but then how are you using that energy how are you using that mental clarity how are you using that connection to spirit god the universe to make the world a better place in whatever way that you can are you leaving as chris said that positive wake wherever you go and on this same kind of theme i really liked this part where andrew talked about someone that he didn't really feel that comfortable around and they were a decent enough person he said they weren't a horrible person you know there weren't any made like major red flags about them but there was just something in his body that was telling him something was off it was that intuition right that gut feeling that visceral reaction to this person telling him there's something here but he said that it wasn't until like five years down the line of knowing this person that things came out and he realized what his body had told him initially. And Chris said, listen to your gut. It is ridiculously accurate. And I've read things and seen things actually where I think in CIA, FBI, like those kinds of agencies, they train you to listen to your gut. And even though there's not that much science around listening to your gut, your intuition, what that is, where that comes from, how we can know things in our body, even though it's not explained, people still understand that it's a very real thing. And this is the issue, right? We can all relate to this, I think. But we often override our gut instinct, intuition, telling us something, our body telling us something, because we start to think about it and we're like, oh, no, 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 no. I know better. I'm going to go off of this information out here instead because i'm probably just being paranoid or anxious or something it's not real the you can ignore your gut very easily and play it off as something else but most of the time our bodies know our bodies know what is up and yeah this is really hard to tap into sometimes it's really hard to listen to it just trust it because just think yeah if we had the scientific evidence to back up those gut feelings we'd probably listen to them more wouldn't we it's a little bit backwards because at the same time it's all it's it's funny because that intuition and that gut feeling is actually the thing that tells us that intuition and gut feeling is real does that make sense but hey maybe you don't even believe that your intuition and gut feeling is a real thing i don't know you tell me now, the next thing is ego depletion slash wearing a bad guy down. Again, this came from Chris talking about hostage situations and that kind of thing. The most relatable example that they gave was that if you're arguing with your spouse, for example, right, and you're going into two, three, four in the morning and you're just going at each other. The saying is, right, never go to bed angry. This is I've heard this everywhere. People say, no, you need to resolve things. Don't go to bed angry because it's bad. I don't know why. But Andrew even said this is all BS. Like go to bed angry because basically what happens is 
you're depleting your ego. You are being worn down if you are in an argument for hours and hours and hours and hours. And you'll eventually get to a decision. You go to sleep, you wake up, and then you're like, you know what? That decision was BS. I'm not happy with this. This is not how it should have been resolved. And Chris gave the example as well that if you're trying to do a business deal, doing the same thing is a bad idea. People think that if you wear somebody down, deplete their ego, you know, really push and push and push until they're more malleable and then they agree to what you want, chances are they're going to go home it may not be tomorrow, it may not be the next day, but eventually they're going to be re-energized, recharged. They're going to think about how you wore them down and the deal that you've made and they're going to change their mind. So it's just completely counterproductive, right? If you are at a point where you're going back and forth, you're arguing, figuring out a business deal or you're fighting with your spouse, whatever it is, walk away from it. You need to recharge. You need to have all of your faculties there, right? You need a clear head. And we've heard this too, though, right? We've heard the whole never go to bed angry. But then we've heard that flip side where it's like, well, you need to be clear headed. You can't just push and push and push until you just get to an answer. So yeah, don't push people. Go to bed, recharge, and then you'll have a new perspective, a clearer perspective. All right, this next point, tip, technique, whatever you want to call it, is empathy. So Chris really went into this and he seemed really passionate about this. So he said, empathy is not agreeing, disagreeing, or liking the other side. Tactical empathy is demonstrating to the other person verbally that you understand where they're coming from. So again, this comes back to those previous points because he said you have to call the elephant in the room out and say how it seems the other person is feeling, what you believe their perspective to be, because this is what will make the other side feel as though you're being compassionate. Now, Chris did say that compassion and empathy are two separate things. You can be empathetic. You can understand their side. Doesn't mean that you have compassion. But in a nutshell, empathy is making the other person feel understood. So overall, this is this is a running theme, right? You have to make the other person feel heard, present what you think that they're presenting to you because that's gonna open up the conversation, the negotiation, whatever it is. Now, the next technique is mirroring. And as soon as they said this, I thought about the body mirroring, right? But Chris said that this is not what this is about or at least that not this technique that he's talking about so this one mirroring is repeating one to three words roughly that someone has said to you so you use this for example if you don't understand something that they've said or you need more information so instead of asking what did you mean by that can you repeat it you mirror the words that they said because it then tells them that they have to say what they've just said but they have to say it in another way because if you just ask them can you repeat that they'll probably just repeat exactly what they said. So you're not getting new information, new context or anything like that. And I liked this insight. If someone loses their train of thought, mirror what they just said, and then that thought will come back to them. And Andrew said on this point that there's something cognitively that merges when two brains are processing the same information. But there's also the fact that we do not hear our own voices. So when we're in a conversation with somebody, we're actively drowning out our own voice because we want to hear what the other person is saying right so we cancel out our own sounds our own voice so when someone repeats what we just said back to us we then hear what we're saying and this is i guess where the whole soundboard things comes from right and i do this with my partner all the time i use him as a soundboard and he's very good at this he's very good at these techniques just naturally i think but i'll say something and then yeah he repeats it to me and when he repeats it to me i can hear it and I listen to it because it's in his voice, my words, but in his voice. And then it's 
clarity, right? You hear it and you're like, oh no, that's not what I mean actually. Or you're like, yeah, 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 exactly. So I definitely recommend trying this actually. If you have a partner, a best friend or anything like that, talking to them and getting them to repeat what you're saying back to you. So this doesn't, obviously you can use these techniques in a manipulative way if you wanted to, but you can also use these with people that you love and care about in a positive way to get feedback and to figure your own mind out, right? Just by this, this simple technique alone, just getting someone to repeat what you're saying back to you. All right, then the final technique is proactive listening. And what proactive listening is, is self-labeling your emotion. So he said that people are usually presenting emotions and they're usually negative because the survival brain is predominantly negative. But if you label that negative emotion, it then diminishes it. So this is being proactive. So here's an example. So if you're in a discussion or a negotiation, call things out. So if you want to ask for more money, say, this will probably seem like I'm being greedy. Or if you want to say something to somebody, start with, this is going to sound harsh. Prefacing with the negative so that once you say the thing after it, it doesn't seem as bad to the person. So if you're like, oh, this is going to sound harsh, that is prepping them to receive something that is harsh. And chances are it's not going to be that harsh because you've prefaced it with, this is going to sound harsh. So yeah, apparently calling things out in advance to warn people then removes the negativity. But that brings us to the conclusion. And this is what it is. We're all going to get shit on. So laugh with people you trust. Humor is very important. And then plain and simple, avoid people who are running you down. This is how Chris and Andrew ended this conversation. I think it's kind of beautiful, simple, but beautiful. Laugh more, be more playful. Humor is very, very important. And what Andrew said is a, a small example, but this goes for everything in life or relationships but he said that people are much more likely to do what their medical professional suggests if they relate to them and build rapport so obviously this goes with everything if you take some of these tips outlined in this conversation if you actively try to help people give back listen to people make them feel heard and understood as chris said leave a positive wake wherever you go make people laugh and smile your friends your family your colleagues the random Lyft driver are all going to respond to you in a much better way. Things will be happier and easier. But let me know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation was. I'd really appreciate it if you followed, liked and subscribed to the podcast. And thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you.